Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Table Work, How New Plays Get Made. My name is Amber Bradshaw, and I am a new play dramaturg, arts administrator, and educator. On this podcast, we ask some questions. What is new play dramaturgy, and how do we do it? What do artists want to see in the future of the American theater? And where are we failing in the creative process, and how can we solve these concerns? This podcast is brought to you by Working Title Playwrights, a new play incubator and service organization based in Atlanta, Georgia, in which I serve as the managing artistic director. For more about WTP and me, check out workingtitleplaywrights.com. I start either in total stillness, which is interesting because Uh, that might not be movement, but that is very much movement. Movement is also stillness. Um, That comes from the Suzuki thing, but I think you can move stillness and very, very slow movement. It's very interesting to watch, but it also gives you the time to start to unfold where you want to go and like be aware of the space and like what's happening in your body Mm. rather than just kind of getting into like wild free flow movement, which I also love. But if you, again, opposing forces, if you move from that place of stillness, break out of it into like a big, very quick, sudden flow Mm. back to stillness, then you're always working between these two really beautiful opposing ends, right? I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Erin Boswell of Vernal and Sears Theater. And so I'd love to start uh, by having Erin introduce herself. Erin, <laughs> thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Erin. I am an actor. I'm a director. I'm a intimacy coordinator director. I'm a movement director. I'm a voice person. I <laughs> I am a lot of things, but I guess I'll just say at the end of the day, I'm a theater maker. And <laughs> and tell us um, a little bit about where you've come from. So where are you from? Yes. Okay. Uh, I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I got my start in musical theater, children's community musical theater. So I started, I started doing that and I just was like, oh, this is really cool because the, the playing pretend aspect um, and just kind of getting to live out these, like I was a kid who like would just pretend I was dead, <laughs> like hold, like set my hands across my chest and pretend I was dead, and then see like how people would feel coming and looking at my body. You know, like that. I've been doing that since I was a kid, so I'm just like you know being just constantly like just in this. Uh, yeah, I know it's a little insane, but all that to say that being an actor felt like something that was the most true to who I am. Um, and so my senior year of high school, uh, I was like. I was going to go to school for pre-med because um, it's my parents' studio in medicine. And I didn't want to do that. And I was like, I want to be an actor. And of course, my mom freaked out. And my dad was just like the thing I always I'll just He's the best, best person. He's like, do whatever you want to do. Just be the best at what you do. So I was like, mm, okay. Well, that's such good advice. Yeah, I was like, you know, that's, mm. I mean, being the best at anything, obviously that's a standard that you kind of have to sit and think about. Like, what does that exactly mean? But, you know, I think he meant it just like be in pursuit of like as, as good as you can be at it, whatever that means. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I kind of got that permission to go and do it and did my first year at Texas Tech in that theater program and then um, it wasn't cutting it for me. <laughs> so uh, I auditioned for schools my first year and I ended up at NYU. So that's when I um, really kind of took off on acting training, like really, really intense acting training and not just being an actor, but getting the sources, all sorts of sources that would help with the acting training, but ultimately would bring me to where I am today, specifically a lot of dealing with movement and different kinds of styles of theater, um, different voice work, that sort of thing. So talk me a little bit about your background in um, movement, voice um, and acting and kind of how you got got here. Yeah, sure. Love to. I was very fortunate because the program that I did at NYU, um, NYU, when you audition for it, they break you into studios that you have absolutely no say in where you go. Most of the people that I feel like I ran into there were always like trying to be the MT kids like in musical theater and then none of us got placed there. (laughs) And then too much to our dismay ended up in these other really intense like Adler or Strasburg or whatever. So I ended up in Meisner. 
Um, and I felt like that was a good fit because I had a little bit of understanding about what that was, but I think Meisner is this thing that everyone kind of throws around like a, like a hot word. Um, and then there's really a lot that goes into it. Um, so I ended up in that studio, but the thing that I got out of that, not just in terms of like the Meisner training, which is really intense, two years long, the program that I was in had an additional year with placing like the Meisner technique within UNESCO or Meisner technique within Brecht or whatever. So, um, which is cool because it's good to be like, know that your, your acting technique can transform depending on what you're doing, where you're yeah. working, the space, the style, the playwright. Um, so that's cool. But the, the program was supplemented with movement work. Um, specifically, we were doing uh, work in Suzuki and work in this method called Williamson, which is like a, it's like a bunch of Meisner people made this movement method for the tech, Meisner technique to kind of figure out like the physical, what needs to open in the physical body in order to be able to express acting without like locking up and understanding where all you your all your emotions are stored and that sort of thing. So it's kind of rooted in like contemporary dance, but also um, very much about physical acting training. Um, there was also stuff like viewpoints, lobbing thrown in, a lot of devising methods. We had a whole class on character and there's like animal work and just all sorts of interesting like physical embodiment of different types of characters. Um, I always like, say that yeah. a lot of the acting training translates so beautifully to devising and creating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a shame that we don't do more of that on the yeah. playwriting and directing side of things. Mm -hmm. It's some of the, it's something I want to bring into educating playwrights. Yeah. Is all of this fun that actors get to have. It is so fun. <laughs> it's <is> very fun. <laughs> but I mean it was it was really fun. And I would imagine you use all those tools today oh, when you're creating with Vernal and Cedar. All the time right? in my process or when I'm instructing actors to like work on doing activities kind of on their own or figuring out how to just embody a character that feels different than you, but not like comment, when I say commenting on the character in quotations, the character, but really right. fully embodying someone that's different than you. That is also you because it's, you are working with yourself, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I felt very fortunate in that program. There's also clowning, which like made me, which was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> It's horrible. That? It's horrible. It's, it's a story I tell. It's like so. I don't know if it's just because it's French or what, but it's mean. It's so mean, but it's so funny, you know. And it's like one of those things that it's like if you can learn how to do this and just like walk in front of your classmates and your teacher goes, "Do something. Do that thing you do," and you just like can't leave until you make everyone break out in laughter. So imagine it can be really bad. Sometimes it's really, really quick and really funny, and then. Um, other times you're up there for 45 minutes just trying to make people laugh and it's humiliating. Um, oh. <laughs> so I think that there's a little bit of unlearning in that training that needs to happen in places mm. to be like, okay, you're moving to a place of shame. Let's sit down for a second. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Yes. What, I don't know. I see some of that I just don't know about. But I did find out that like, it's the thing that made me comfortable with just being gross on mm. stage. Like it really helped with um, playing Mama Ubu. It's um. just like... Yeah, yeah, sure. I will absolutely do this on stage. And actually, I find way more comfort in that than doing something like the last play I was in the hurricane season where I have to be this like sexy, beautiful, blah, 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 whatever, you know. So mm -hmm. um, I would rather play the, the creepy clown thing. Instead. And that's, <laughs> that's from clown class, I think. Um, right. But yeah, all that to say, it's a really long way of saying that um, the training I was in had a lot of different components kind of stretched across different styles, different techniques, um, all working together to build you a toolkit that you can and will need through various points of your career and your process and your craft. Um, yeah, so I felt very fortunate in the particular program. That's awesome. I did not know they placed you. Do they still yeah. do that? Yeah, it's it's really so it's, interesting. It's really like Hogwarts, one hundred percent. Like they Ow. assess. I mean, I remember my, my instructor. She was like, spent an hour in this room. I think I was the last one to go. Worked in this monologue and this different monologue and a different monologue. And then she asked me what my horoscope was, and she asked if I was a Scorpio. I remember this, and I said no. Nope. Capricorn. She goes, oh sense. Uh, she was very, <laughs> I think she was in the experimental theater wing. I just wish I knew who it was. I really liked her. <laughs> but it's funny because she's like, because you can ask. It's also like if anyone, you know, grew up with her, you can ask <laughs> where you don't want to go. So you're telling the sorting hat audition person, you know, I was like, 
Uh, any studio is fine. I just really want to get into the school, but I just don't think that the experimental theater wins for me. <laughs> Oh, if mommy so, could see you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's not for me. It's, it's not for you. work is not for me. No, it's far too confusing. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hysterical. I love that. I love that. I think that moves me into one of my next questions for you, which is kind of the way you view experimental theater um, and literally the language of um, experimental. And of course, it's, I would say it's a little bit, um, it's something I think people could easily argue about, right? Sure. Like yeah. what is experimental theater? I was actually asked recently what experimental theater was because um, one of the um, new scholarship recipients was attending and someone used the term. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I, in this context, for me, it means that we are looking at the inner workings of the play rather than just enjoying a story from yeah. the outside of yes, it. Yeah. Like it's sort of exposing itself yeah. to us. That. Um, that was sort of the best I could do. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of the way I look at it because I feel like it gets, when people try to say it's antagonistic, I feel like that's limited. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about what you think of the idea of what it is or maybe, um, and then, and then potentially how that connects to your work with Berlin's here. Um, yeah, so, okay, so I'm gonna start by saying that if you asked me like the difference between postmodern and modern and avant-garde, I can't tell you. Experimental is just an, is, it's an interesting thing to kind of wrap my head around because when I think about experimental work, it can, coming from my perspective, from what I, when I watch work and I'm like, that feels experimental, my standards might be a little bit different than a lot of other Folks standards on it. Um, I think what you said is right. Is like is a really great way of like trying to dig into the core of the play itself or into the the way the play is functioning, um, and that the play might not be able to function without morphing the form a bit. You know, whether that's language or movement or acting style itself. Um, yeah. So experimental to me feels like when we kind of push against what feels normal, when what feel pushing against, and that can be many ways that you might do that, but pushing against the standard form of like the five act structure, right? Of like, here's your, of a linear timeline of behavior that feels natural, like you would see it in everyday life, um, mm -hmm. pushing against like kitchen sink, pushing against realism. And there's even ways I think that you could turn something like Chekhov into a little bit experimental. Like, I think you would not want to do it for the sake of making it fun or funky, which I think is a pitfall of some experimental theater. And I'll say that as someone who loves experimental theater, that if it gets to the point where it's no longer serving the play, it's kind of not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, we always kind of joke about like setting Hamlet on the moon. Like everyone's like, we'll put Hamlet on the moon on a trampoline. And I think that's a play that's been done somewhere, but it's always kind of talked about like, why are we doing this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's pushing against something to push against Hamlet on the moon or just because you don't want it to do it like normal Hamlet. But how is that serving the play? If you could justify it and do it while I'm here, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, but I guess I would say experimental, if I was going to define it, is pushing against norm mm -hmm. um, in terms of like what we see and what we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I often tell playwrights that choosing to um, develop a different structure for their play is inherently experimental. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> because you're because you're saying mm -hmm. to the audience, well, what you're used to is not what I'm going to give you. Mm -hmm. So welcome to my world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hope you like this planet. Yeah. Because <laughs> you'll be here for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's the idea of pushing up against rather than, I think some, again, think, think of it as immediately an attack or an antagonization of the audience or something mm -hmm. like that. And I, I like that better, pushing up against what we know to be the norm. Yeah. And I think that can obviously like, it can feel, and I understand why it might feel antagonistic, especially if it, you're already creating more danger by making it 
not feel like you coming, you're coming in expecting a play to go this way because this is how you understand plays to function. Mm-hmm. And if you walk in and it functions in a way that absolutely is like bewildering or it's just very confusing, you know, if it's not what feels normal, it's already scary and uncomfortable. And I think your response to it is already like, oh my gosh, like nervous, anxious energy. Um, which of course, like, I don't know if that's, I would like to go see a show where I felt that way. I haven't seen a show like that when I felt that way in a long time. Not in a way that's like, I don't feel safe in the space. Like I'm physically at heart in harm's reach, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. really want the actors to touch me and I don't want to have to like get involved, you know, cause then I feel like I have to perform by being a performative audience member and get like, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, you know, I do want to walk into a theater space and feel disrupted. Mm. You know, and if I can feel like okay. my life is disrupted or my inter- or how I view art is, or I have to try to figure out what the heck's going on, I feel like that can be experimental and it can feel antagonistic, but in a way that I really like. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. You want to feel disrupted. And I guess that kind of leads me to the idea of, for you, the difference between dance and the movement work that you do. Sure. That's yeah. a great question. Cause uh, especially cause now our work, you know, I'm, I'm super inspired by dance companies and um, my producing partner and co-director and uh, another really great movement director, Aaron O'Connor. Uh, we just like our Instagram feeds are just like, here's this thing from Peeping Tom. Here's this thing from Damon Jolet. Like here's all these just different companies. We're like, how do we do that? I can't cause I'm trained in this way and my body doesn't do that. But you know, being inspired <laughs> by image and, what the body's doing and how these groups of people are moving and like how do we incorporate this and sometimes we've tried like we get really excited and inspired we're like we have to put this in the show like we try to do that with Lear and then at the end of the day we're like mm, this actually takes away from the play itself so we can't use it you know because mm-hmm. again the play is the most important thing so movement movement directing um it's, it's still about the narrative it's building a physical narrative um a physical dramaturgy creating a language um, for the piece itself. Sometimes that's very obvious. Sometimes that's like, we're a clown ensemble who has to all, I don't know, move lunch trays down a line or something. <laughs> we're a bunch of clown children warriors. I don't know. You know, we're like, okay, it's very obvious that this is going to be very physical. And that's like a very obvious like movement direction or like a dance. We're in a waltz together. Awesome. But sometimes it's more about like, it's so it's so interesting to talk about this because like I don't really talk about this as much. We're just kind of in a room with people who understand. We're like, okay, yeah, we're here. This is a Greek chorus, and we need to move across the space in this kind of way to shadow this person because this is kind of they're sort of a Greek chorus and they're sort of the Furies, um, and so building it with just these ideas. So I think a movement director helps the director create the physical narrative of the piece. Um, that's a very simple way of saying it. The movement director uh, helps the actors in their process of finding more embodied performance, um, finding character, finding different states of being, and helping them feel really grounded in that. So I say that as a movement director, but I would say also just generally movement in the play is the, the actor performance, the relationship, the uh, choreography, <laughs> the even just like in terms of when you're working with a director, like if we just push them a little bit further apart, what would that do? Or if we just, this moment when these two characters touch for the first time, can we just change the quality of that touch? Or can we expand mm-hmm. it to rather than just being a very simple hand-to-hand touch, can we open this up into a movement sequence that feels just like the wonder of it and opening mm-hmm. that emotional connection in a way that just feels so much more expansive you know, mm-hmm. um, I think there's just many, many ways to to work with movement, but it goes beyond dance in that way that I think it's, it can be really, really small, really, really tiny, even down to mm-hmm. the place that is imperceptible. And it's about active process all the way mm-hmm. to like being very, very massive, like big sequences of movement. Do you, do you use gesture in your terminology? Yeah. Got oh, yeah, it. Absolutely. So gesture being a very mm-hmm. common, like, Gesture can be dance, but it can be not dance. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 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 And so so when you're working uh, with Sawyer, uh, when you and Aaron are working with Sawyer, mm-hmm. so it's often, you know, how does he communicate his sort of concept and then you 
take part in that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll use an example just because it's sometimes it's easier to talk in examples than theoretical yeah. stuff. Uh, so, for example, uh, in the play The Exterminating Angel, we had this big dinner table, and he knew he just wanted the set to be very simple. He just wanted one long table across the center of the space in the square that the actors, once they enter, cannot leave throughout this play. Um, but he wanted the sequence that we call the caviar event <laughs> to be at this dinner table. Um, and it has to deal with physically what's happening in the space is everyone's having dinner. So he sees everyone at this table having dinner. At the head of the table is a character, Louise, and she's like orchestrating and she's going on the list of the menu. But because it's stylized and because it's just getting it's Bunuel, so it's starting to go from more behavioral into more abstract, and we're starting to get information that like time is starting to repeat itself, and that there is this like loop of things just happening without anyone really being aware. Um, so that's kind of where we start to introduce that concept. Um, so, <laughs> so it was so hard. We spent probably like twenty hours on this thing, uh, <laughs> right? Because we have so many people at this table, and it's everyone creating so like. Me and like Aaron O'Connor would be like, okay, let's start very simply. Let's create circuits here. So everyone's kind of creating like what they're gonna do, you know. So, so you work with across. each mover. Yeah. On what so doing so at the table, like I'm gonna reach okay. across and, and pick up my glass and take a sip of wine. I'm gonna turn to the left because the person to the left is asking me something. If I would like to pass that dish, do I hear that? I turn here. I pass here. I look to my right. Oh, I reach over. Oh, now I'm flirting with. Lawrence down here uh, and now I'm turning back and now I have to repeat this thing. So now we're moving through the circuit. Um, but there's lines happening at the same time. Yeah. And then the whole thing goes backwards. <laughs> or it goes faster. Or we do it and then we jump. We have like a, a jump cut in time to the middle of the circuit. So if previously I would have gone from move one to move two to move three. I instead go from move one to jump to five and then I go backwards the whole way. So it's very complicated, but Sawyer is like, they're at the table and I need this thing is like, we're warping time. And his vision simply is like, I have no idea how I do that, but maybe it's the circuits, maybe it's you guys do your job. <laughs> so we're like, okay, I will figure this out. And it's very complicated. And at the end of the day, even though what we're doing physically is warping time, we're still engaging in conversation normally. <laughs> Because the play still has to move forward and the audience still has to understand the text and understand. And it's not about how weird we can get with our bodies. It's about time and it's about status and it's about money and entrapment and all of these things. So, And so when you're creating, <laughs> let's say when you're creating each circuit for each artist, mm -hmm. <clears throat> is Sawyer doing it with you as well? Is it like you, all three of you, or maybe the two of you in collaboration? Or is it more like... This is the idea. You do it. I'm going to do something else. Kind of uh, some, somewhere between it. Or like, I'll just we'll sort of start, like, we'll instruct, like, what the game is. Like, build your circuit with these people, and we have to get to 1 through 10, and then we need everyone to um, just remember that your 3 was dealing with this person. So find... So every time we get back to three, their three is dealing with you on your three. So, <laughs> but you know, there's wow. like 18 people at this table, right? Yes. And so, um, it's incredible. And so he's kind of there watching to see if it makes sense. You know, like Got if it. it feels like it doesn't, it doesn't feel he's right. Looking at the, the overall moment. picture. Yes. He's not Got helping it. with those little things. If he's, Got it. Some, things that he's some things will be good. Like he's, he's like, I really need to see more back. Or like, hey, when, you're in, when your nose is tilted up that way, that was a really beautiful image from out here. Right. So helping in that kind of way, but Got in it. the little dynamics, it gets like very complicated and confusing. And so yeah. um, EO and I usually just kind of take that over. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> and by EO, you mean Aaron O'Connor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And shout out to uh, all of the Vernal and Sierra company members. Uh, we did that last time. But we'll do it again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and okay, cool. That's great. Thank you for breaking that down. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. And I also, I hear you talking about like lots of structures and systems that oh, you're yeah. putting in place, yes. right? I heard you talk about the game yeah. and then you've got, everybody's got a circuit mm -hmm. and then you've got the people you're sort of talking to mm -hmm. and then the moments you might have to hit in that circuit, yeah. right? I mean, it does feel a lot like dance choreography, oh, right? Yes. Uh -huh. But then you throw, you throw text on top <laughs> of it, yeah. right? Yeah. And so 
it almost feels like somewhat what musical theater people do because they're mm-hmm. dancing and singing and acting mm-hmm. and hitting their blocking as well, yes. right? I and wanted to go to school for musical and theater. And that's what that was sort of the beginning. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot yeah. of sense. And then, and then Katerina Eichenberger, she's singing a song over the dance at the same time. So, you know. Over at the same <laughs> over time. Over the dinner table. Right, yeah. right. Love it. <laughs> yeah. cool. It sounds amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is my kind of show. Um, I would really enjoy that. So speaking of all of this, kind of, do you want to talk a little bit more about sort of the foundation of Vianessa's style? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think our style uh, came out of the first play we did, going back to Sincerity Forever, in that, and this is, you know, also maybe, maybe it came from my, our movement backgrounds, mine and Aaron O'Connor, but also Sawyer was very open to it. And this is like, that was the first place I ever directed. Um, so, but feeling like there needed to be this, you know, the play itself, Mac Wellman's script has things like a furry pause written into it. So you can either skip the thing that says a furry pause, or you can figure out what furry, the furry pause is. Oh, right. Okay. So this play is dealing with, um, for those who don't know, and maybe I'll just kind of give a brief, overview of this play because yeah, you didn't okay. get to see it okay yeah. mac woman is this phenomenal very strange playwright i would say absurd but again we we're talking about how i don't actually know what absurdism is <laughs> <laughs> so i would say he's absurd uh he's experimental by my standards <laughs> um he wrote this play called sincerity forever and the basic premise is that there are and this is already it's going to sound problematic and it might be so take that is what you will, but it's a play about um, this group of teenage members of the KKK, and they're sitting in their cars having very big thoughts about the world, about things like, why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? Um, And then there's these aliens that come to kind of just spread their alien furriness and like contagion to everyone. which already seems like it already had been, which is something I'm thinking about now, you know, with a clan that feels like a alien, a furry contagion anyway, mm. right? If you think about mm. like that mentality. Um, and then there's also uh, Jesus. She's black and she's here to see if she can knock some sense into people. And at the end of the play, <laughs> there's a line that's like, if I had to do this whole thing over again, I would really reconsider this, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and then at the end, of the, it's just so it's so it's very strange, right? And you get these very weird concepts together. You get aliens, Black Jesus, the Clan, movie theaters, young love, big concepts, all within this thing about like sincerity is the most important thing. If you're a racist, at least you're sincere about it. You don't have to put them on the podcast. But, <laughs> but, right, and that's what the point of view is. It's like, but I'm sincere, and God would want me to be sincere, and that's what's important. And you're like, no, that's not just what, that's not what's important. Like, mm-hmm. if you're in your mindset and you can't expand your mindset, right, problems. Um, but I'll just say that that was our first play, and so the play is really weird, and it's really funny. Like, these concepts are just so, the, the script is hysterical, but really important, deep concepts, right? Like, you're putting the clan on stage, like you can't just be flippant with that, right? Obviously, um, but the script itself, yeah, things like a furry pause or an earthquake and everything rumbles. And so with that, there's just like starting to be movement and what happens when an alien starts to infect a body of people? What, how do we make that present in the movement? Um, how do we deal with the space itself? How do we deal with projection and sound? and all these influences within it. So I guess to go back to style, that's our very first show. We didn't know what our style was. We just did the play. So you did not set out to become a no, physical theater company. No, not at all. We, we chose a play that we thought was interesting. I liked the script. I was like, this is interesting. I'm confused. It's funny. And I'm kind of upset by it. And I want to know what that is. Mm. Um, that's a great reason to choose a piece. Yeah, yeah. I'm upset by this. I'm upset by this, and it's also, and I'm laughing, and I feel bad for laughing because this is like these are very serious things. Should I be laughing at right. this? Right? Should I be right? Yeah. Um, what does it mean that I'm laughing at this? Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm. So we did this first play, did not intentionally be create a style that we have, but what was important was the play. 
um, the play was interesting and the play, the structure was not a very clear structure. The language was very weird, um, but still something you could understand, you know? So all that to say that we just like pull all these influences into this play that we found interesting and confusing and we had a lot of questions about. And so then that was that first play. And then we moved to the next one. And again, this was Sawyer, lots of questions, interesting language, playing with time, um, lots of different influences that required to support the play. And then that's just kind of what we kept doing is always supporting the play and choosing plays. We, I don't think we ever really know what plays we're going to choose. Like right now, we have no idea what we're doing next. <laughs> um, just kind of falls into us where we have a conversation or there's sometimes like plays we're interested in like the last one Lear I was like listen it's been 10 years can we do since I've seen this play I would love to try to direct um so but but at the end of the day it's still always about the play and the style and what we choose to do with it is just how to support the play yeah yeah that's really cool that's awesome so it's it's really come out of just sort of a natural evolution yeah right yeah very cool. Well, you've said that you are really interested in, you know, expanding the education part of what y'all do, right? Yeah. How about you tell us a little bit about that and what y'all are doing in education right now and maybe what you are thinking about, you know, growing. Sure. Um, so I would say the education component of Vernal and Sear started uh, because every time we would sort of enter a show, the things that were required for the show tended to be something that was not part of many actors' training, um, either because it's a very film-centric town, so there's not movement classes here, or understanding why actors should be taking movement classes as part of their craft is maybe not discussed, or even in you know college programs, um, you'll kind of get a smattering, like a little couple of movements here, or like one movement class, um, but everything else is like jazz, you know, um, <laughs> which is awesome, it's fine, but you know, the, the work that we do requires a certain amount of training. So we would spend, we kind of do this, I think this, the last few ones we haven't done this, but really there's like a, a week of training when we kind of enter a process. Um, sort of like a crash course in like some of the, the methods we use and the vocabulary we will use, um, which primarily tends to be Suzuki, Laban, um, viewpoints. So we'll train like that first week of that process. And then it just kind of became a thing of like, well, why should this just sort of be only for people who are in our shows? I mean, it seems like people are genuinely curious about what the movement is and how this helps you as an actor or director or advisor or creator or whatever. So that's kind of where it started. So we started like Monday drop-ins is what I think they were called. And it was just like a quick kind of overview and sort of like movement jam session with these techniques. And that was pretty much up through the pandemic. Um, and then when we came back, we started teaching online, adapting these things for, yeah, for Zoom. And then came back and sort of just built out a structured course. Um, and so that's what I am. I'm the head of the education wing, I guess, for Bernal and Sear. Uh, and yeah, just kind of building out an accessible means to train and learn these techniques and see if it works for you, um, see how you use it. A lot of it is kind of applied more towards acting, but there is a big devising component we've really been exploring um, with like how to build work or how to incorporate things that really feel like they have absolutely no conversation with each other. Like the devising class will, <laughs> we ask students to bring different pieces of text. So they'll bring like a contemporary monologue and then they'll be um, like an ad or like a transcribed weather report or something from the news or something that's real, like a real current event. And all these just different pieces of text that really have nothing to do with each other. And what happens when you put them all in the space together? Mm. So you get like a really beautiful Sarah Rule monologue mixed with like a bump it hair ad, you know? Yes. Um, and, and then movement. And then we have this piece that's being built out and it's just so interesting to create. And it definitely works mm. on these different kinds of tools but also I hope that it instills this feeling that you can make work um, 
I think I just took this frantic assembly workshop and they had a really, just really great, nice, clear way of describing this that I was like, oh, that's useful because it's the same thing that I'm saying. It's, that's like, they call it the crooked path and that you're having these different concepts that have really nothing to do with each other, but you're taking the crooked path and you can find so much more mm. um, than just doing like what feels very obvious and clear. So in those classes, taking a bump it hair ad with the cerebral monologue with Eurydice, for example, what does Eurydice have to do with bump it? <laughs> you know, with a movement sequence that you've built and then you have so much to just unpack and unfold um, and see how all of these things support each other. And then ultimately you can end up with a piece that just feels like you're asking questions rather than giving answers, which is definitely what we're about. So very cool. Yeah. But I love the idea of like, we'll bring something in, let's mash it up. Yeah. Let's mash it up. What yeah. is it? Um, what does it look like if we yeah. put this together? These two opposing forces, mm -hmm. which is just inherent tension, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is beautiful. So I love that as a tool for devising anything really. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because I often love to ask people who create um, movement, like, where do you start? And I honestly, sometimes they don't even know. Yeah. Um, is is that a question you could answer? Where do you like to start? Um, I could probably, if you put me in a room and was, was told just to make a movement piece, um, mm -hmm. I start either in total stillness which is interesting because uh, that might not be movement, but that yeah. is very much movement. Movement is also stillness. Um, that comes from the Suzuki thing that I think you can move stillness and very, very slow movement. It's very interesting to watch, but it also gives you the time to start to unfold where you want to go and like be aware of the space and like what's happening in your body mm. rather than just kind of getting into like wild free flow movement, which I also love. But if you, again, opposing forces, if you move from that place of stillness, break out of it into like a big, very quick, sudden flow mm -hmm. back to stillness, then you're always working between these two really beautiful opposing ends, right? Yeah, so if I was gonna start there, I might start in stillness with text or stillness with just a thought or keying in on what we call folk eye, which really is like a mind's eye image in the Suzuki work. Mm -hmm. um, and start with that image and then maybe incorporate gesture and then text and then see what, what I feel like I need or what the space itself might need. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that just comes from having like techniques to kind of support yourself because you just get, you're like, just do anything. And that's the back to the clown thing. That's like, you could do anything. And that just feels like, oh God, like that's too daunting and scary. And I have no idea. I'm just crippled with not knowing, you know, right. knowing what I could do. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I love all, that. I think that's fantastic. I might start it there, like very, 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 very still, slow motion. Mm. Yeah. That that resonates, especially having seen you perform so many times. I can say, I feel like there's so much power in your stillness, and there's presence. There's presence in stillness, yeah. right? So it's almost like I hear you almost saying, like, come into yourself before mm -hmm. you know what to do next. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of that sort of rooting. Mm -hmm into self in stillness you know we practice that in meditation in yoga yeah. right and all of these sacred practices stillness is a huge part and i've heard a lot of instructors say things like it's in stillness where we do the most work hmm. right mm -hmm. and she's speaking about muscles and strengthening and, and lengthening to a certain extent but i think that could be said for in general yeah. right so i love that as an answer that's a fantastic answer <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about what you're hoping to do for the future of your program, or maybe for yourself yeah. in, in the work you want to be doing in movement yeah. directing. So I, I think with the education wing, I just, I'm really interested in changing the mindset around movement for acting training, mm -hmm. very much like at the core, it's movement for actors, how to, yeah, change the way that we view movement. I think the United States kind of has a, a problem with the lack of consideration for it, of, of viewing it as equal and of equal importance to like a acting technique like Stella Adler or Meisner or whatever. And I say that like as a person who did Meisner, you know, and yeah. very much needed that in my in my tool belt. Um, the movement was equally as important, also because the that's an instrument that we see working. You know, yeah. um, is the body you can have. You can feel all the things and be super keyed into your partner and be listening, but 
if your body is telling me a different story, I'm not buying it, you know? Exactly. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm just trying to change how we, how mm -hmm. we view movement, how we view the body. I'm also interested in, you know, how that translates just to like a well-being practice for yourself, how to just be in your body and, mm -hmm. you know, move through the world, how yeah. to give yourself practices to, to help you when you're in states of fight or flight, um, how mm -hmm. to age with strength, <laughs> you right. know, um, yeah. I'm interested in sharing those practices as well. But I think uh, on a scale, like a larger scale, yeah, changing how we view movement for the actor, but also in work, we're starting to see more movement in film, um, more style in film. Um, mm -hmm. Also in theater, how theater companies and different, yeah, just different companies view movement. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in places outside the United States, there's pretty much always a movement director involved in the process some way, but here in the United States, it just doesn't happen as much. I would say that in New York, it happens occasionally, but just not nearly to the place where it could be really make that, that um, piece a little, just like a little spicier, you know, a little, a little more yeah. rounded, a little bit more just electric, I think, mm -hmm. um, even if that's just in coaching actors physically, because um, there's, there's pretty much always a voice coach or a dialect coach available on any film set, um, any, yeah. you know, any piece of theater, but not always a movement coach or a movement director. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm trying to change that too. And I think that just starts with making a space for the work to be shared, yeah. keeping it accessible. Um, we always offer this at a tiered rate or a really low yeah. rate. Um, I find it. Yeah, the classes are really affordable. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah. And I think it is just because we're, you know, working against a, a model that's like the collegiate institutional system that we have. It's kind of a scam in some ways, um, mm -hmm. especially if you go to one of the schools where you're going to walk out with, you know, I went to NYU. Uh, I was very fortunate, but I know that some people like have a, just so much debt that's impossible. And it just seems so unfair to ask people to have, you know, $200,000 in debt and be an actor. <laughs> what? You yeah. know? So... I just, I really, it's important to me to be able to offer the same caliber of training for something that's affordable. And a lot of our, our little artists don't have the ability, the time or the privilege yeah. to go get a master's degree. Yeah. And they're still just as talented as somebody yeah. who went. So I appreciate that. I think it's so true. A lot of our playwrights that we work with don't have master's degrees and they're still just as talented yeah. as any other playwright. You know, I think experience uh, comes in many shapes and sizes, you know? Um, but I also hear, it sounds like you're saying too, like you want to teach actors to act in lots of different ways, yeah. right? Like yeah. there's not one toolbox, there's not one style. You're not just a film actor, you're an yeah. everything actor, yeah. right? And this is your style when you do film and this yeah. is your style when you do this. And, you know, and I would love to see that as well because I do see the smallness taking over some of the performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, unfortunately, I can't work with those folks because they're not expressing themselves enough to even reach a stage reading audience. Yeah. Right. And so that surprises me usually when I see that. Yeah. And because Atlanta wasn't always a film town, I will say we have definitely a lot more people acting small than we used to, but there's never been any training. Yeah. There's just never been any training. Um, Atlanta just doesn't have a lot of training, uh, just in general for our artists, which, it's always exciting to see local companies offering training, right? Yeah. Um, and it's something that Working Title does as well because we've been asked to train people. And we actually have the same issue that you do is people come in and they don't have much experience or training in what we do. So mm -hmm. we kind of have to train them. Yeah. So we found that, oh, well, I've done dramaturgy, but not new plate dramaturgy. I'm not sure how to do this. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that you all would need to be training people because yeah you're the only company in town doing this kind of work, you know? I hope that uh, you'll have the opportunity to continue to teach your work because yeah. I think it's fantastic. I hope so too. I hope that, you know, we teach it here in Atlanta. I would really love to, to teach in other markets um, as well. Yeah, and I think I also, you know, trying to change, I think there's a, there's a bit of a problem and I, I see this in Atlanta. Um, I see this obviously everywhere and just things that we're unlearning practices about how we deal with actors and, deal with the vulnerability and mm -hmm. what we're doing. Obviously the the weight of the of what's required of an actor is it's it shouldn't be underestimated at the same time that there is like a certain kind of quality that I would say is not healthy. Um, 
So I'm also just hoping that maybe there'd be space in the, in the movement work or even just in acting training where it feels like back to a safe space, a safe space to fail. Um, yeah. But also be pushed in a way that's like scary, but feel like, okay, I can, I can fall here. Yeah. Um, and how do I grow out of this? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When you talk about sort of wanting to connect the theory and the practice and the body and the mind, that's kind of what I hear you talking yeah. about yeah. is that a lot of American theater doesn't seem to acknowledge the, the aliveness of the body just on yeah. its own without whatever's being said yeah. and how much that speaks, right? And yeah, figuring out other tools and other ways of kind of doing that work um, through the body. Um, back to 448, Erin O'Connor, um, she doesn't have the same acting training like she's a director. She's a phenomenal actor, but her strongest skill set is within the story that her body tells. And so very much in that, and, and even Sarah Kane gave us a really great entrance point into that. Like I was not familiar with like Laban method or Laban, depending on how you pronounce that, whether you're from here or from Europe. Um, but uh, in the script itself, it has this whole like string of efforts. Uh, it's like flat or slash, flick, punch, dab, ring, press. And then there was one that was kind of called flash, which now that I understand might be a flick slash. Um, now that I know more about the method, but we made up what flash was and we brought that like to the use of like light and like memory kind of this like, mm. um, and or these moments of lucidity that she would experience. So, um, we kind of made that up, but there's a whole, it's literally just a paragraph. It's just like effort, 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 effort over and over and over and over. And so we made like a whole piece out of that, but Aaron was very much using that method, um, to put those efforts in her body and to sort of communicate like where we were talking to an actor, like, you know, I might approach it more psychologically or how I'm feeling or like use imagination to like start to conjure this journey for myself. And that would cause me to feel a lot of things and get me to the state that I need to be at for this kind of performance. And that Aaron's process just doesn't work in that same way. And I find it so fascinating. We love talking about it as just that to be an actor doesn't mean you have to have this like feeling all the time or be able to like summon just like images and respond to them like immediately. Like your body can tell the same story if you've got a really good um, control and technique of it mm -hmm. uh, over it. So mm -hmm. Sawyer would be like, Aaron, I, this needs to be slash. And so she's like, I don't know. I can't tell you, like, I can't go off and like create this whole backstory or pull up a memory and distort it or any of those things. She's like, I understand slash. I will put slash in my body. I'll put slash in the line. And we do that a lot in our practice. Like when we're, when I'm coaching or what we're doing with the actors in classes or Sawyer understands this technique very much now. He's like, this character, and it needs to be more flick. And that's easier to tell an actor than be like, be more jokey, be more like, you know, sometimes sometimes it's like annoying to hear as an actor to be like, you know, be more jokey, you're humorous. Like what exactly are you asking for? Put flick in your body and in your voice, just try it out, see how that feels. And then it'll oftentimes give you the same results that you're looking for as a director as trying to like approach an actor's process with like psychology or action. Those things feel like they're not working. The actor's like not understanding that. The body always, <laughs> I mean, so. humor is uh, subjective. Yeah. Right. Even I mean, intimacy coordinating is so beautiful in that way because why would people assume what a kiss should look like? Yeah. Right. It's everybody thinks of that differently. Mm -hmm. So that really makes sense to me. Yeah. It's a very clear direction. Yeah. I think that's that's actually interesting from like a dramaturgical perspective, looking at the creation of a piece. You know, you could. You could literally talk about a moment and say, well, I feel like that this is more flick than, than that or yeah. whatever. And you could speak to the, almost like the, um, the vibe of it, right? Like the yeah. energy of yeah. it rather than the actual thing, yeah. which is great, especially if you're telling story through body so much yeah. and creating structure where there isn't any. Yeah. Or it helps, you know. And intimacy, we talk about deloading the work a lot, um, but I find that that's really helpful, especially when you're dealing as an actor or directing actors or trying to work through a scene that requires, like, not intimacy related, although it might be very intimate, um, like a state. And sometimes we'll talk about that the play just needs a certain state, mm -hmm. and that state might be violent, you know, and that might 
how an actor resonates with that, right? You can either talk and I wish you were like, and, and that's that's tricky, right? Like talking after through violence or like demand more of them. Or like, I really need you to go there, like go there, go deeper. Right? And that's like how you would get like in an acting class like forever ago. And like in that stuff, like the need is valid, I think. Like the understanding as a director or an acting coach that you have, the actor has to go to that place. What that place is obviously can be very different. It doesn't mm. have to, you know, what feels deep might be different for some actors. Um, or some actors in their process to go to that place might be psychologically harmful mm -hmm. if there's not certain like safety practices involved or right. some people might be able to do it and it's just a feeling and they can feel the most anger most fear most just like let the monster out and then just be like oh that's fun you know just to, it just depends on the process and the actor and like, you know, yeah. So, but if you have a term for the body or the state, like slash, if you can just put that energy, that vibe, we need the vibe to be slash, right? We know what that is, which we know it's heavy, it's bound, it's indirect, and it might feel violent or chaotic without requiring you to like go and think about really violent or chaotic things, right? Like some acting practices will yeah. ask you to do. Yeah. Um, so I find that using that technique in general is just a really good way to get to the state without requiring the same kind of like potentially harmful things that could kind of leave their like residue on you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I've worked with a director who um, who would always say, make the words sound like what they are. Yeah. Which I really liked was Jason Minadakis from Marin Theater. But he, he taught a, a version of the, the text as music. Mm. So it was very much sort of like playing mm. the text with your voice. And so it, it allowed, it, it completely avoided objectives and intentions and backstories. Mm. There was no such thing, right? Yeah. The only thing you have is what is in the text that is said about you and that you say. That is all you have, right? Which to me is so much more helpful than coming up with a bunch of stuff that is fake yeah. and may not actually speak to the work at all. Right. Right? Because I think that's a lot of what happens. Yeah. And that if you tell an actor this should be more slick, then they can emote at whatever vibe right. is right for them yep. and it can be theirs and they can choose mm -hmm. and you still have stylistically what you want yep. you know so that feels really strong yeah. as a choice mm -hmm. um and having seen y'all do your work i i feel that it is successful um you know having seen several shows so um and seem not just y'all do the technique Right, you've trained other people to do the technique, and I've got to see them do it. Yeah, which has been a fun evolution, oh, by the way. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's fun <laughs> to see the technique on other bodies. Yeah. you mm -hmm. know, it's been very interesting to see, especially with hurricane season. It was really cool. Oh, yeah, 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 because yeah, I think it was one of the first times I'd seen some actors of that age range yes. doing mm -hmm. your work, and I was like, that is fantastic. You know, because typically it's been twenty to thirties, right? <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. you incorporated some some older actors, and they they slayed, they nailed yeah. it, um, and it was beautiful to see in older bodies, like because I want to see a diversity of movement, and so we did get to see that, right? We got to see more of that, and that was really cool. That was really neat, um, very cool. Um, so you also are an intimacy coordinator. I just want to that has been really important in in the work we do with VST. Um, the first time we brought on some intimacy practices um, are was in Ubu, which was great because there was a lot of very intimate stuff happening in that play. And that kind of really opens my mind into like this is something that I think I would like to share because I am a movement person. I am like an advocate for actors in the room if something feels like it's getting really intense or I'm starting to see someone's body language indicate that they might be too anxious right. or they need to take a break. Mm -hmm. Or even for myself, I have the hardest time advocating for myself because I'm very much like, I will use this like how I'm feeling to get me through this and it's gonna be awesome the other side. And that's just like talking about boundaries at home, like things like when that starts to happen and then you go home and then you don't talk to your partner because you're just angry at them for like putting you in that position, which is not what happened, but it's just like a lack of being able to advocate, right? Yeah. 
So I can say that from experience. Yeah. It is something we all have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And it can be, we can tend to be like, no, I can push myself. This is good. Yeah. And it's like, actually, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, no. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and so it came out of that place of need um, and being genuinely like interested in what these intimacy practices were and how they extended just beyond like scenes of uh, simulated intimacy or simulated sex. Um, how they can move into like just best practices for maintaining well-being when working on a piece that's really difficult or different kinds of intimacy or how we talk about content that could be um, potentially triggering, you know, just just things like that in the process as an actor. I think there's a lot of just intimacy practices that have carried over in a way, especially because, yeah, our work is very difficult. Um, it's rare that we ever do work that feels just kind of easy and fun. Like we do love the fun stuff, but there's always something rumbling under the surface a little bit that we're trying to get at. Um, so yeah, whether that's like simulated sexual acts happening or really just intimacy between people and vulnerability and that sort of thing, it's definitely, definitely helped um, within our processes. Yeah. I really enjoy watching intimacy coordinators work. I think yeah. the tools are really fantastic. And yeah everybody would benefit from taking advantage of the tools yeah. honestly everyone in the room because i feel like it's just like a let's just all check in and acknowledge we're human yeah and see each other mm -hmm. and like stop if we need to stop and yeah. break when we need to break right. and um you know as a dramaturg working with playwrights there are times where you just kind of have to close rehearsal because mm -hmm. they're done they're done listening they don't have any more space in their brain, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of checking in with them. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are you good? You know? And so then there's also the training them to be comfortable saying what they feel, yeah. which is not something they're used to, obviously. People right. aren't usually asking them those kinds of things. So, you know, as a new play dramaturg, it is a part of my toolbox to um, be sort of in care of playwright right mm -hmm. um so it's really nice to know that uh vernal and seer has you and your intimacy work and you can bring that to it because the work is very challenging and there needs to be a container for that so you know it sounds like that y'all have really developed that container yeah i i mean i hope i definitely hope so i hope you know we work really hard um but we definitely do our best to to care about each other as a team and care about the actors in the space, especially because, yeah, the way that we work may feel very different than a lot of other theater companies' processes, especially because sometimes sometimes they're so long. And right, your processes so, are three to yeah, six months. They're right? very long, and mm -hmm. then in Tech Week, it gets really intense, and sometimes we're still like on the struggle bus big time, like trying to get things to work. <laughs> every every well, time we're like, is this the one where it's really bad? <laughs> Oh my god, I feel like that's everybody's check all the time. Yeah, I cried. <laughs> I was like, I failed. I can't. No. Oh so I was like, it's going to be fine. It's the sound. We're going to fix it. I was like, okay. Oh, I know, tech. I, I do know, though, from asking Sawyer that even though your process is longer, you actually rehearse less time yeah. each week, which to me sounds like a much nicer process. So yeah. you do two or three rehearsals rather than five. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's over three months mm -hmm. rather than three weeks yeah. or less. Yeah. So there's a time for process, you know, time to which step away from it. Time to take a break, right? Time to, to do other things, mm -hmm. do your job, make yeah. some money, you know, during the day, but also like come back to it and still enjoy it, I feel like. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there too, because yeah. Um, when we say three months, we're not talking about five days a week. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Not. No, there'd be no way. I'll yeah. All that. I mean, our schedules are, we all work day jobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you have any final advice specifically for actors? Oh. I always say, what's your advice for new play artists? And I yeah. thought, I'd love to hear your advice for actors. Yeah. My advice for actors is to read plays. Mm, that's uh, such great advice. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, replays. Um, find different art forms outside of your own particular craft. Um, look at go to museums. Look at art. Look at musicians. Um, look at mime troops. 
dance companies, um, things that are um, not artists from the United States. Um, you know, look at things globally, find just different art forms and figure out how that can influence your work. My advice is to become an actor that's versatile requires expanding your toolkit a lot, mm -hmm. um, even if that's scary. Um, that would probably be my biggest one. I'm always on the hunt for trying to expand mine as well and be yeah. bad at something and <laughs> hopefully try to take it and <laughs> figure out how it works. So I think that's yeah, great advice too. Find good. something to be bad at, yeah. you know, see how yeah. that feels. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Thank yeah. you so much. All right, y'all. Well, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much, Erin. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Table Work, How New Plays Get Made with Amber Bradshaw. This podcast was brought to you by Working Title Playwrights. If you like what you've heard today, support this podcast and all our initiatives by leaving us a review, following us, and or consider making a tax-deductible donation to Working Title Playwrights at www.workingtitleplaywrights.com. Table Work.